Happy New Year, Church, and good morning. We thank God for another year. Today is the second day of a brand new month, of a brand new year. We're grateful to God. Let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this morning. We are very grateful that you have let us be among the land of the living in the year 2022. We thank you that everything that you have fulfilled concerning our lives in the past years and what is to come. For this reason, we want to thank you. We want to thank you that, Lord, even as we have started this year, may we start right. May your presence continue to be with us. And Father, we want to thank you for the hope that you've shed abroad in our hearts, that whilst we continue to walk steadfast with you, it shall be well with us and in our house. I want to give you praise. I want to thank you and commit all our Sundays, all our Wednesdays, special conventions, anytime we gather and the word is being preached, we thank you that you will give us a word in season that will help us to run accordingly in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell our Bibles with me to Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 to 32. And I read, Then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pots that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hard servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, 
and because he has received them safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time, and yet you never give me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Uh, today's passage should make us somber in thoughts in our quiet times and moments. Uh, based on what I have read today, I'm preaching on what I call Don't Forget About This Group Too. Don't Forget About This Group Too. Amen. So to understand today's passage, it's very important to look at the background to this parable. Um, I haven't done slides in a while, so forgive me. It's the reason why I haven't done it. Uh, but the next time I, I, I will be preaching, I'll be doing slides. Amen. Um, Jesus sat down to eat with sinners and tax collectors. You know, I've, I find it funny that the Bible even differentiated between a sinner and a tax collector. They are in the same bracket. But, you know, Jewish people saw tax collectors to be the most vile of people because uh, tax collectors were normally Jewish people who worked for the Roman government and then they go to their kinsmen and they tax them four times over. That's how much tax they were paying. You know, nobody likes the tax man. Here, even in America, nobody likes tax, you know. At the end of April, when you know how much tax you are filing away, it's it's, it, it cannot be pleasant. Uncle Sam. Nobody likes Uncle Sam. So that was the, the, the Jewish people. So they, 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 were, they were people who, like today, there's a disparaging term used called sellout. Jewish tax collectors were sellouts because they did not look out for the interest of their own kinsmen, but they looked out for the interest of the people who suppressed them. And during those times, it was the Roman government that suppressed the Jewish people. And mind you, this was a time of slavery. So you get your own people who are supposed to look out for you, and then they tax you times four. So if you are supposed to pay 20% of tax, a Jewish man would charge you 80%. So at the end of those times, Jewish people tend not to have money. They were very impoverished because of their rigid tax system. So tax collectors were not really liked. So tax collectors and sinners were often seen in the same brackets. Now, even Pharisees didn't even like um, um, tax collectors, which is serious, because they were also touching temple money. It wasn't like in today, you know, churches are known as non-profits, so we have a tax-free system or a tax break, some something like that. But 
during Jesus' time, churches were paying tax and they used to tax them exceedingly. So Pharisees and scribes also did not really like tax collectors. But the Bible lets us know that Jesus sat down to eat with these people, you know, and it drew the air of the Pharisees and the scribes. And they started to complain that, why is Jesus eating with such people who are unworthy of an audience? Because Pharisees and scribes who are the religious leaders of the day, they would never sit down to eat with a tax collector, believing that he is beyond redemption, he's beyond salvation. And Jesus then narrated three parables to respond to their complaint. You know, I, lo- I love Jesus. Sometimes he will just give it to you indirectly. You know, sometimes Jesus can be very direct and sometimes too he will be very indirect. But whichever be the case, he still responded to their complaints. And he responded with three parables of which I read one. That's the final parable of all, which will be our main passage for today. But the first parable can be seen in verses 4 to 7. Jesus goes ahead to talk about a man who has 100 sheep. And the Bible lets us know that he lost one and he had 99 sheep. And the Bible lets us know that he will go in search of the one at the expense of leaving the 99 in the wilderness. And the story ends well because he found the one. But there is something interesting there that when he finds just one sheep out of the hundred, he brings it back. They join together and it becomes hundred sheep. He calls his friends and neighbors and they rejoice. So what, is, what was Jesus' truth out of this parable? Jesus' truth out of this parable is heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents than 99 who need no repentance. And like we keep on establishing uh, our definition on the word parable, it's a story, either fiction or non-fiction, that is used as an illustration to bring home a spiritual truth. So when Jesus used a parable, it's because he wants to bring home a spiritual truth or he wants to drive home his message. And the message that Jesus wanted us to know is, heaven rejoices when only one person repents. Now he goes to his second story. He said, it's also like a woman who has 10 silver coins and she loses one. She could have been satisfied and said, okay, one is lost, I have nine coins. What's the big deal? But look at the process which is outlined for which the woman will go ahead for the restoration of a lost coin. She lights a lamp, she sweeps the house, right? And then she carefully searches until she finds it. Have you ever lost an item before? (laughs) Recently, I lost something very precious. I was all over the house like a madman, all over the house. Thankfully, I found it. She did everything possible until she found it. And the Bible lets us know that when she finds it, she also calls friends and neighbors in the like fashion of the sheep owner. 
and then they rejoice over a lost coin. The truth out of this second parable again is heaven rejoices over one sinner who repents. So Jesus sitting to feast with sinners and tax collectors was just for one soul. You see, let me tell you something. If Jesus had died this shameful death, and if it's only one out of 7.6 billion, that will say, Jesus, you are Lord. I believe in you. I will serve you. Jesus would have still deemed it a worthy sacrifice. Because that's all Jesus was for. Jesus was not for the tens, hundreds, thousands, or even the millions. But he's after just one soul. For the sake of one soul. Jesus downgraded his appearance, came in the form of a man, even though he is not a man. All because of one soul. He went at great lengths to make sure that he became accessible to sinners, to tax collectors, to people who may, society may have deemed unfit and unworthy. He made himself accessible, became a man acquainted with grief and sorrow, became a friend of sinners. Why? All just because of one soul. And that should tell us something. The second lesson from the two stories that I learned is that the gospel restores. Because from the two stories, you see a very common thread there. There's lost sheep out of a hundred. There's a lost coin out of ten silver coins. But none of them were left to their feet. Do you understand? They were found. And it took labor. It took labor on the part of the shepherd to find his one sheep. And it also took labor on the part of that woman, unnamed woman, to find her silver coin. So it takes labor to experience restoration. And this brings me to the main crux of our story for what we just read. This year, 2022, if you are at the watch night service, we said that it has been declared by our presiding bishop, Bishop Moedu Jemfi, as the year of making Christ known. Uh, this theme is a call to action. It's a, it's a call to action. It's not, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? Um, a slogan, you know, or just a buzzword. But it means that we should be so winners. We should do everything possible to live our lives as living epistles that will attract people to the saving knowledge of Christ. That will be our emphasis. It's a time for us not to be dull and to be shy and to be timid, but to make known our, our beliefs that we believe strongly in Christ as the Lord and as the living bread who will satisfy. We should be able to say that boldly uh, with our reservation and bring people to the saving knowledge of Christ. And I attempt to do that this year by the help of the Holy Spirit. There are a group of people too we should never forget or gloss over. Are you understanding me? Because sometimes when it comes to this, we can be so uh, tunnel-visioned and very narrow-minded on a particular group of people that we might need to minister to. And that might be people who are unsaved. But the third story lets us know that Christ doesn't have to be made known 
to just unsafe people. There is also another group beyond the unsafe people that also need to experience a touch of Christ through us. Amen. Now, the third parable said a certain man had two sons. Now, when the Bible uses the word certain, especially in a narration of a parable, it's always believed to be a true life account. So perhaps the first two parables may be a figment of Jesus' imagination. It might be fiction. But when it came to the third one that we just read, where he stated a certain man had two sons, that word certain, especially in narration of a parable, is always believed to be a true life account. So Jesus was not, when he was talking about this third parable, perhaps he was not really talking about fiction. He was talking about non-fiction. He was talking about something that happened at a particular time or a particular period with real people. It's not, you know, characters, but these were real people. Amen. And the Bible lets us know that there were two sons who stayed in the house, the older and the younger. So perhaps the father had two sons. I don't think he had more. Or he talked about the older and then the younger. And the Bible says that one day the younger was very ambitious, says that, Father, just give me my livelihood, my inheritance. Give me what belongs to me. And the father did exactly that. He obeyed his request, gave him his livelihood. And the Bible lets us know that the younger son left. The Bible says he went to a far country. Perhaps, I, I, I really don't think he might even have kept in touch. He went to a far country just to be independent, just to disassociate himself from the house. And the Bible went on to outline the prodigality of the younger son. That's why the story is called the parable of the prodigal son. The word prodigal there means wasteful. So the Bible lets us know that he took his livelihood and he wasted it. But one day, the Bible lets us know that famine came in the land, severe famine, and he began to be in want. Have you ever been in want before? It's not pleasant. He was hungry and in want. And the Bible lets us know that he traveled to a certain country and became a citizen. But unfortunately, he didn't meet someone as kind as his father. He went to work for a wicked master. You know, he would just say, come and work for me, but he will not pay you. This son, who perhaps came from a rich family, because those days to have an inheritance, you had to be quite wealthy. Now, you don't really need to be wealthy to, to, to live an inheritance. But those days and those Jewish templates, for, for you to uh, have an inheritance and, and bequeath it to your sons, meant you were wealthy. So suffice it to say he was wealthy. And why do I say that? Because he had servants. Those days it was a status symbol of a rich person to have a servant. Not a rich man. So this man was, this son was the son of a wealthy man. He went to work for a wicked boss who put him to work in his field, which has swines. And I think his job was to feed them. 
The Bible said that he got so hungry that he even wanted to eat the pots of the swine, but the swine will not give him. I don't know if you've ever observed pigs, but pigs are not the friendliest if you go near their food. And when I read this story, I said to myself, wow, how can this man be so wicked? You, you take somebody to work for you and you don't pay him. You don't even care about whether he's hungry or not. You know, the Bible has a judgment for wicked employers. When you read James chapter 5, verse 1, Jesus said, he says, that, no, um, James, the, the half-brother of Jesus, says that rich people, go and cry. Because the people you have defrauded by holding back their wages, their, their cries have gone out to the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Sabaoth means the Lord of hosts. So God takes notice of wicked employers who defraud employees of their due benevolence. Well, this man was hungry and at the lowest of his low, I don't think this son of a wealthy man had ever experienced anything shameful or disgraceful like that. It had become so bad that now he wanted to eat with pigs. And pigs would not even give him some of his food. That was sad. The Bible says he came to his senses. He came to himself. And when he came to himself... The Bible said, he said that, why am I here? I will arise and go to my father. How many of my father's hired servants even have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. You see, this means that the, the, the father was a very good man. Because his servants, they don't just eat. They can eat to the point that they even have bread to spare. And if this is how the father's servants are being treated, can you imagine how the sons are being treated? So I think that the, the guy came to his senses and he began to compare and contrast. Wow, I am a servant to this man. And my servant, my father also has servants. Look at how, look at the contrast. I'm here sitting here. With corn husk in between my toes, smelly. I have no food. But my father's servants, they even have more food to spare. Not even what they have to eat, more to spare. And why do I perish with hunger? Then he made a decision. I will arise and go to my father's house. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. You see, this son had an idea of what heaven was. This son had some sort of godly reverence. But some way along the way, he backslid. And now he's coming to his senses. And today, the question that I want us to ask is that when people come back to their senses after offending us, can they come boldly, 
knowing they will have an audience with us. Because to me, that really explains the Christ that lives in us. And I'm not talking about people taking advantage of you. But I'm talking about you being in a place whereby when someone knows I have messed up and I am prepared to repent. I, I can be confident knowing that because of the Christ in him, when I come back, he will give me audience. You see, this son, even though he knew he had messed up, he believed in the restoration and the grace that his father will afford him. And today, we are 2022. Maybe some relationships have been bent, you know, some bridges have been bent. And maybe there may be some people whom I want to come back. But the question is, if they come back, will we prove them wrong? That we are Christ-like enough to accept them and restore them and mend the burning bridges? Because this was where the guy was. He had faith that his father will restore him back. And that's why he came back. But sometimes... There are some people who might not have faith in the restorative ability even of the church. When I have left the church, I have cursed the church out. I have said that this is a cult. I have said a lot of bad things. And then now I have come back to my senses and want to come to the same church. Will the members accept me back? And will they show that Christ lives in them. This younger son had enough confidence that the father will restore him back. That is why he went back. And today, if there is any prayer that I want us to pray, is that, Lord, enlarge our hearts. May our hearts become big. Because it's only when we have an enlarged heart that we will be able to accommodate people and come to a place where we believe in restoration. That's not an easy thing. You know, in this life, when you have an enlarged heart, it's a sickness. It's not a good thing. Medically speaking, when the doctor says you have an enlarged heart, you are in trouble. But spiritually speaking, when you have an enlarged heart, it's a blessing. Because an enlarged heart is what will help you to make Christ known, not only to unbelievers or people who are unsaved, but people to who may have once been in the faith, but may have left the faith one way or another. And the Bible lets us know that when he made that decision and decided to go back, the father saw him from a distance. It meant that the father had always been looking forward to him coming back. He was at a distance. He saw him at a distance. It speaks to me of his expectation. He had left the door of reconciliation, the door of restoration open, 
believing somewhere, somehow, he's going to come back. And he didn't care which state in which he was. He could have come back to prove the father wrong. I have made it. The father would have accepted him. Or he could have come back broke. The father would have said, I still accept you, regardless. So this story to me shows to me the constant faithfulness of God, the father. And we all know that when Jesus came on this earth, he came to show the heart of God, the father. And who is God, the father? God is love. And that's why Jesus will spend time eating with people whom society may have even written off or may even say they are misfits. Jesus will spend time with them because he wanted to show God the Father to us. And he also did that at the expense of even if it's one soul, it's worth it. This father was at a distance. The Bible says that when he saw a younger guy. I'm sure he may have changed. His appearance and everything would have changed. Because life, when life gets pretty hard, it really affects your complexion and, you know, it can even disfigure your appearance and everything. But despite all of these things, he still saw his son from a distance. And the Bible says he ran towards him. He didn't care whether he smelled of cologne. He didn't care whether he was dirty. He didn't care whether he came from a wicked man's swine farm. All that he cared was that his son was back. He hugged him. I'm sure the son would have thought, this man is crazy. You are hugging me, I'm so dirty. And whilst he hugged him, fell on his neck and kissed him, the son now began to memorize his rehearsed script. It didn't even matter to the father. The father said, look, scratch it. Bring him sandals. And if you do remember, I did explain that, you know, in, in, in the Jewish times, if you wanted to know the difference between a servant and a son, the son wears sandals, the servant doesn't. That was one way by which you could differentiate this was a servant or this was a son. Another, another one was a servant was bare-chested, a son is not. That's one differentiation. The, the father said, I am not going to make you a servant, even though you've blown your inheritance. You've wasted your livelihood. I don't care about that. All that I care is that you have come back to me in person. That is good enough. You are still my son. You have sandals on. You have a robe on. And I put a ring on your finger, letting you know you are the son of me. You know, a, a ring on the finger also meant that the son had authority in the house to command the servants to do things in the name of the father. He has a ring. It also meant that he is also an heir to whatever inheritance that is left. He restored them. He didn't mind. And the Bible lets us know that he killed the fatted calf. Unbelievable. The fatted calf that would have been used for 
the choicest guests, or even perhaps it was for even the older son, it was killed. And why? The father gave the reason and the explanation behind this. My son was dead. He's alive again. Was lost. But now he's found. Let us make merry. And the Bible lets us know that the whole house was filled with merrymaking, music, and dancing. There was a party going on. In the midst of the jubilance and the celebratory atmosphere, the older son came back from the field. I believe he was a good one. He works hard. He obeys his father. And he even told his father that. But before that, he inquired what was going on here. And when they told him, he was very upset, got angry. He didn't even want to come into the house. And the father came. And then he began to rightfully explain to his father his credentials. I've done a lot for you. All these years I've served you. I've not transgressed your commandments at any time. Uh, You've not even given me a young goat that I should make merry with my friends. He said, but when this your son, not even my brother, because that's the difference. See, the father and the son. The father still, even though the, 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 the younger son was out of sight, the father still saw him as a son. But to the older brother, once he was out of sight, he saw him as something else. I believe that today God is speaking to us through this message to really consider the older brother's posture and how he deals with his brother. And this is something that I believe we can all take home. In our year of making Christ known, we don't only have to make Christ known to unsaved people, strangers. We also have to be prepared to make Christ known to people who have backslidden, people who were once in the church or who may have lost their faith or who, 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 who may have gone through some tough times, some terrible times due to one misfortune or another. All those people deserve to have Christ being shown to them through our lifestyle. It's not just the unsafe. So when we are making Christ known, it's not only an evangelistic effort, it's also a restoration effort. I believe that's what God is talking to us through this message this morning. I believe in 2022, in God's infinite grace, he's going to allow certain painful reminders to come our way. That might be in the form of certain relationships. And we should be prepared to bring them to a place of restoration by making Christ known. They might not need to know that Christ is a savior because they already know that. But they might need to know Christ is a restorer. That is also making Christ known. You know, we will do the book of John this year and we'll finish the book of John. When Jesus rose up from the dead, he went to these same disciples who betrayed him and restored all of them back to him before he went to heaven. The last thing Jesus did 
was not just resurrecting from the dead, but was restoring every relationship that was broken before he left. Because mind you, when he died, Peter was not there. Peter betrayed him. When he died, James was not there. James betrayed him. When he died, Andrew was not there. In fact, when we talk about the disciples, all of them betrayed Jesus, except John. It was only John that was there. And Jesus could have died with grudge, resurrected with grudge, and then just go to John. Because it was only John that was with him. And he could have given him instructions and would have left. But he went to go and look for Peter who deserted him. Went to go and look for Thomas who doubted him and brought all of them. The last thing Jesus did before he went to heaven was to restore. And ladies and gentlemen, it behoves on us this year, 2022, to restore. There are some people who may have backslidden because of the last two years. The pandemic was harsh. They couldn't hold their faith. If those people come our way, let us find it in our hearts by the help of God to restore them. They also need Christ to be made known to them. Some people may have deserted our lives. If by chance they should come back, let us have it in our hearts and by the help and by the grace of God to restore them. This is our New Year's message. It might not be the best message. It might be hard to hear. But God is speaking to us today that if truly we will want to make Christ known, it is not about just the salvation message that once needs to be saved, but it's also for that group who have left, who may have abandoned the faith. If they should come back, we should restore them into the good graces of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I present to you today the heartbeat of God. That in 2022, yes, we have to preach the gospel to the unsaved. We have to reach out. But whilst reaching out, don't let us forget we have only one field that is the unsaved to reach out. We also have to reach out to all people who may have even hurt us. They may have abandoned us. They may have said things about us. But if they find it in their hearts to come back, let's love them. Let's prove to them that we are Christians. Let's make Christ known by believing in restoration. I want us to pray. Place your hand on your heart. Lord, if there is anything you will give to me in 2022, give me an enlarged heart. A heart to accommodate people, to love people. Jesus once got angry with the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. You travel everywhere just to win one soul. And when you win the soul, you make him twice as the son of perdition. You see, so in Jesus' case, it's no point to even go about winning a soul if at the end of the day he become worse off. 
Yeah, as much as Jesus is interested in the winning of a soul, he's also interested in the maintenance and in the welfare of that soul. Ladies and gentlemen, God should give us a big heart. A heart indeed to say we love him. A heart indeed to say that it will pain me, but I will restore. A heart to say that I will let Christ be known that he is a restorer of broken relationships. A heart to let people know that yes, you may have backslidden, you may have left the faith, but Christ restores. Christ will leave everybody who is not in need of a physician just to find that one person that's in need of a physician. May God give us that heart. Because if God doesn't give us that heart, 2022 will go down the drain. And 2022 doesn't have to be another year. It has to be a year where we can say that Christ indeed has been made known to people, both unsaved and to those who are backslidden or to those who have left the church. So place your hands on your hearts. Lord, enlarge my heart. Expand the borders of my heart that I can love like you. Let's begin to pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, it can be painful, but I will submit. It can be hard, but we are determined that you will be known. Lord, help us. Give us the grace that Christ will be known. Help us, Lord. Help us. Help us to do your bidding. Help us to restore people. Help us to love people. Help us to go after people. May we capture the heart of the Father in this story. We don't just want to know about it. May we capture this heart. Oh Lord, there are people we may have sworn that never will I talk to this person again. But Lord, soften our hearts. Soften our hearts. Soften our hearts. Break that stony heart of ours and make it a heart of flesh. Thank you, Lord. It might be a place of discomfort, but it's a place of growth into your image, your likeness, and being fashioned after your character. Lord, put us in that place of discomfort that we will grow indeed to be like you. Thank you. We don't just want to obey the easy things that is within our reach, but things that you have commanded us to do that will help us to grow. Oh Lord, help us that we will achieve those things. Jesus, this year, we want to make Christ known, not only as a savior, but especially to every backslider, to every disloyal person, 
to any person that has deserted the faith, to anybody that has hurt us, Lord, help us to have with the gospel restorative grace because the gospel restores. Thank you, Lord, for answering this prayer. We give you praise, O oh Lord. We love you. Lord, we say we will do your will. We will do your bidding. We say yes, oh yes, to your will and to your way. We say yes, oh yes, we will trust you and obey. When your spirit speaks to us, with our whole hearts we will agree. And our answer indeed shall be yes, Lord, yes. Thank you. Touch our hearts, O Lord. Enlarge the borders of our hearts, O Lord. Enlarge the borders of our hearts, O Lord. For this year, we have resolved that Christ will be known among our peers, among our family, among our friends, and among our societies and communities. May Christ be known. Give us a heart that will help us to accommodate everybody, Lord. People that we can't naturally accommodate because of our temperament, we will be able to accommodate because we are spirit-controlled and spirit-led. Thank you, Lord. Give you praise now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.